0: Stoveleg Media. Igniting Conversation.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Jesus That's Good News podcast. This is a space where we share the gospel, a.k.a. the good news, to anyone who has a vulnerability to pull up a chair at Jesus' table with no reservation needed. Hey, good morning, Dev. How are you today? Good morning. I am doing well. How are you? Good. I heard you... Into some home improvement yesterday. Yeah, we have some special VIP guests coming next weekend, so we really need to make I this place look clean.
0: I heard they're real, like real picky kind of people.
1: Yeah, they won't sit on just like any deck. Oh, so heard. we have been replacing boards. We're gonna stain, doing everything.
0: Welcome to home ownership. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. And by the way, your special guests. I know them really well. They go by the name of Julie and Jody. That's right. <laughs>
0: And we have a special episode today. We do. We have a really special episode today because my better half is here. And that would not be like my husband
1: or anyone. The one you shared the womb with.
0: I know. I've known her longer than anybody. Think about that. Mm-hmm. I've known her longer than anyone, and we have had our ups and downs, and we have ridden that emotional, relational roller coaster, but we're able to sit at the same table this morning and, and talk to people. So it's really exciting to have my sister Jody here. Without further ado, she
1: is a mom, mm-hmm. a wife, a daughter, a sister, and... All of those things, but she is also an amazing teacher hmm. who deserves to be paid way more than she is.
0: <laughs> Amen. Amen, um, sister.
1: And to Katie and I, she is a, like another mom. Mm-hmm.
0: We love her so much. Mrs. Jody Gillen. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Oh my gosh. It's such an honor uh, to share space with you two this morning. Um, and yes, I am like your adopted mother because I have your pictures <laughs> on my windowsill at work right next to Kate. And Ian, and then there's Devin and (laughs) Katie. Yes, so I look at your smiling faces every morning. Before we go any further, Jody, I know the topic that we're going to be discussing today, and you had mentioned to me wanting to give a trigger warning. Absolutely. How about if you give that real quick, because you know the the content of what you're going to be discussing. Exactly. So I'm going to be getting very real about my struggle with clinical depression. Um, And I am going to be talking about suicidal ideation. If that is a trigger for you, uh, we just want to let you know that up front so that you can make the decision about whether you want to proceed with listening to the podcast today. Sure. Well, thank yeah, thanks for doing that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jody, as you know, last week we talked about the light mm-hmm. and how Jesus is the light of the world. Um, and what was really interesting in that story, actually, Devin and I lo- we love that story it's so good. But mm-hmm. one of the things we pointed out from the get go is that you know, the man was born blind. Mm -hmm. Religious people thought he was born blind because of some sin or something that he had committed. But you know, he was born blind and suffered uh, great things because of his blindness, but through no choice of his own. Right. I I would lump uh, kind of your situation into that, into that same category, wouldn't Mm you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, what we're going to talk about today, you guys, is going to be very real about this idea of Depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Devin, we had talked last week about this is a difficult time for a lot of people with the weather change.
1: Yeah, I said last week that I self-diagnosed myself with seasonal affective disorder. And um, I know that, you know, when it starts to get dark out, um, people can start looking inward and kind of get dark in their heart and their minds mm-hmm. too so I think it's important that we talk about depression and anxiety today and I'm just really grateful for Jody to be on to share
0: a little bit about her story you know I was thinking about metaphors for where you're at and I was listening I was sharing with Devin prior to the podcast I was listening to a podcast by Barbara uh, Taylor Brown I love her one of my favorites she was talking about uh, the wilderness and what the wilderness is like and um You know, more than anything, it's a place of desperation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a place where we admit that we have fallen and we can't get up on our own. It's a place where we've lost our way and perhaps even come face to face with evil. Um, And we need help. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the church will tell you that if, you know, if you have enough faith, and I know you're going to talk about these falsehoods. uh, If you had enough faith, Dirty, you wouldn't be struggling and Mm -hmm. you wouldn't need Mm -hmm. help. But we want you today to help redefine what the wilderness feels like and what and how to survive in the wilderness and and knowing that it's okay to ask for help when you are in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. despite what maybe the church would say. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to, Devin, what do you think? Let's turn her loose.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, why don't we start from the beginning? If you, if you don't mind of just a little bit about your story and when you first noticed um, maybe that you were struggling with, with mental health.
0: Yeah. I want to offer a disclaimer before we get started. I am not a professional. I do not have all the answers. I can only share my experiences and be truthful about them. And I can listen to others. Um, and I feel like by being open and honest with my own struggles, my hope is that it will empower other people who are struggling to get the help they need or to also have the the courage to share their story because stigma is a real problem with mental illness. And I think the only way that we get past the stigma is for people to be open and honest about what they're going through and, and share their story, or I just think it empowers other people and gives them strength. Um, I will listen to anyone. I've had two specific instances this week, haven't I, Julie, Mm -hmm. that I shared with you where friends have come to me. It, said, it always kind of happens that way, doesn't it? Like yeah. You and I will be talking about um, depression and anxiety mm-hmm. issues and and how so many people are out there walking around and they're struggling mm-hmm. and they're hurting and mm-hmm. no one knows about it. But then mm-hmm. the, in the midst of us talking about it, boom, someone will show up and oh say, this is where I'm at. Yes. It's so weird. How, not weird, but it's funny. How It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit or it's God. It's God placing a reminder in my life that, this is what you're, you've been called to do. Right. right? You've been mm-hmm. called to share your story and be a source of strength for others who are going through it. I had read an article this week about how most people, from the time that depression manifests itself in them to the time that they get treatment, and we're talking about a clinical depression. Right. Not just just sadness. Not just sad that the Bengals lost. No. Right. We're talking (laughs) because that could really. We're talking about a clinical and we might talk about that a little bit about the difference between a just I'm feeling sad because you know I didn't get a job or I'm feeling sad because I wrecked my car and those are bad things. But clinical is a whole nother, clinical depression is a whole nother realm and I read an article by a psychiatrist the other day who said most people, from the time that they identify signs of depression to the time that they actually get treatment, 11 years. No way. Yes. Yes. For a multitude of reasons. And I can kind of speak to that here with my story. I first experienced, my, my first episode with clinical depression happened about two weeks before I graduated college which would have been in 1989. So that would have made me 22 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I was fine. I didn't feel like I had any stressors in my life. Um, I was getting ready to graduate. I was madly in love for the first time in my life. And something was going on in my head. It felt full, for lack of a better explanation. And I couldn't turn my brain off. Something was rolling and running inside my brain, and we were in the process of moving me back home mm-hmm. from Moorhead. I was I was there. Yeah, had no clue. No clue. No clue. Anything. Nobody was going had any on. clue. No. And um, I remember going to a meeting about graduation, like you had to, you know, get your cap and gown and stuff like that. And my head was just roll, just moving at a really rapid pace. And I thought, no matter where I go, this feeling in my head, something's wrong. Was it like anxious thoughts? Yes, it was racing thoughts, okay. racing thoughts. I couldn't turn my brain off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even went home. We had we were in the process of moving me home, and I went home one weekend. Then I went upstairs to my bedroom. And I specifically remember, like, you know how when you get water in your ear and you hit your head? Mm-hmm. I went up in my bedroom, and I literally started hitting myself in the head, like, And shaking my head like something is wrong here. Like I've got to shake this thing loose. Mm. And um, after about 10, 14 days, it just kind of dissipated and I didn't really know what it was. And I just chalked it up to all the other factors going on in my life at the time. Sure. Fast forward eight years of having similar bouts like this. And I never told a soul. Never. Never told a soul. And never missed a day of work. Um, I got a teaching job right out of college. Never missed a day at work. I remember teaching and my thoughts were racing. I would be grading papers and my thoughts were racing. Um, Yeah. And they always seemed to last for a couple of weeks and then it would dissipate I didn't know how to describe it to anyone, so I didn't bother anybody with it. And Jody, I I think it's important to make a clarification here too, is Mm -hmm. that the racing thoughts, like someone might be thinking, oh, well, you know, I have thoughts coming in and out Mm -mm. out of my head all the time, but you describe it. I I like the word that you use, and I hope I'm not stealing the thunder later, but Mm -hmm. you call it consumption. I do. Yeah, it's consumption. Um, imagine you wake up and you have these headphones on and in the within the headphones you, you are hearing over and over again on, it never stops something's wrong with you hmm. something really bad is going to happen you're crazy they're going to have to admit you into a mental hospital you're going to die you'd be better off dead um you're never going to be normal again. That was a big one for me. You'll never yeah. be normal again. Thoughts will you, never stop. The thoughts either, will right? never stop, and yeah. you will never yeah. be normal again. And, and it's on constant repeat on your headphones, on your head. And if you go to work, it's still rolling. And if you are eating dinner with friends, the headphones are still on. And if you are going for a jog, the headphones are still on. It doesn't matter what you do or where you go Ver turn off. You can't distract your way out no, of it. No, you can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the signs of clinical depression is distractibility, being unable to sleep. Um, it's because of these thoughts. Right. It's because of the racing thoughts. Mm-hmm. You're distracted because you have this set of headphones, you know, blasting these messages into your ears. And no matter what you do, you can't escape it. Mm-hmm. No matter where you go, it's there.
1: So during those eight years, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. what was keeping you from reaching out to somebody?
0: There were, there were uh, several things. Number one, um, I, I didn't know how to define it. I didn't know how to describe it. I couldn't adequately communicate it. I didn't feel like I could adequately communicate it to anyone else um, because I didn't totally understand what was happening either. And so, if I didn't understand what was happening, how can I communicate it to somebody else? Yeah. No one had ever talked to me about a clinical diagnosis. Um, so I kept my mouth shut and yeah. just powered through. And Devin like this we're talking 30 years ago, mm-hmm. which seems ridiculous. I how know. old we're are we? 55. I know. <laughs> um, But no, you didn't talk about it. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And the term that was used back then, Devin, is if you were to talk about this, then someone would say you had, quote, a nervous breakdown, Breakdown. which has horrible, horrible, like, um, implications. Yeah, yeah. or associations. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we grew up hearing stories of how our grandmother Ruth, who we were so close to had, quote, a nervous breakdown and had to be hospitalized after our mother was born. Well, looking back, our grandmother, who was a strong, educated, amazing mm-hmm. woman, um, had two babies within, what, 14 months? She wow. she had postpartum.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But nobody knew back then about par- postpartum depression and now we can look back on that and say, oh my gosh, you know, five months after she had my aunt, she got pregnant with my mom hmm. and then had another baby. Right. So yeah, we grew up hearing those stories about how grandma had a nervous breakdown hmm. and it had terrible stigma, yeah, terrible implications. And me being a perfectionist and wanting everyone to think very highly of me, I saw that as the pinnacle of failure. And Jody, you know Devin. You've known Jody long enough to know she's not saying that from a um, from a haughty or a pride so, spot. No. It, no, no, no. It's just uh, it's, her enneagram
1: too. It's, yes. it's a two.
0: She's a two. Yeah, no. she's a two. Yeah. Ironically, I saw my uh, physician on Friday for my um, six month mental health checkup and my medication checkup, and we were talking about enneagrams, and he said, Jody, you quote, his quote, you ooze, <laughs> you ooze Enneagram 2, um, and and you ooze this desire to want to help people, so uh, yeah, I'm definitely an Enneagram 2, yeah. You know? <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was eight years of suffering in silence. Yeah, and Jody and I at that time had our ups and downs, sometimes mm-hmm. we were close, sometimes we weren't, mm-hmm. we're not at the stage we are now, or we mm-hmm. weren't at the stage we are now, But still, I had been with her longer than anybody else, not a clue, Mm -hmm. not even a clue. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone has, um, you know, suffers from anything from diabetes to a broken arm, I mean, Mm -hmm. there are concrete words for that, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. a concrete kind of diagnosis for that. And you can say, oh, I hurt my, you know, I fell the other day and I hurt my arm. And that makes sense to people. Mm -hmm. But how do you say to them, I woke up this morning and my brain's not right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why people engage in self-harm. If they cut themselves, okay, that, I can feel that. I know Mm. what that that is. And that that makes sense to me. Um, What's going on in my head does not make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking for anything that will explain what's going on in your head. Sure.
1: So Jody, can you talk about when there was that moment of, I don't want to say breaking point, but in your words, when everything kind of came to a head for you?
0: Yeah, it was nineteen ninety-seven January. I had not slept normally in six to eight weeks. Um, my mind was racing so bad. Uh I I might fall asleep about four AM and um then get up, my alarm would go off at six and I'd go to work. This had been going on for about six weeks. I was not eating. I, I was hiding food under napkins at work. I was throwing food away. And anyone who knows me knows that, I mean, I love to eat. Nothing's better than a good meal with friends and family. <laughs> Everything was starting to shut down. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating the classic signs. And I called, we, were, we had a snow day and I called my family physician. And I said, I'm having trouble sleeping and I remember the nurse on the line said, this may be indicative of a mental health issue. And they said, you need to call a counseling center. They, did, they offered me no help. And I got off the phone and I was very distraught. And I called a counseling center about 20 minutes from here. And they were like, We can see you in a couple weeks. Mm. And I thought, oh, okay. And I booked the appointment. Later that evening, I started pacing my house. Now, mind you, um, my husband had no idea. I was the consummate actress. My husband had no idea that anything was wrong. He had no idea that when I was driving home after work, I had uh, picked out a telephone pole
1: Hmm.
0: on the drive home that I could potentially crash my car into. Um, And I remember thinking, I was driving home and it was snowing lightly one day, and I thought to myself, after not sleeping for six, eight weeks, I don't know if I could do this on purpose. But God. I, this was my prayer. If you could let my car. Slide off the road. Like due to snow or ice. And crash into that pole. At least I could get some rest.
1: Wow,
0: That made. Total logical sense to me. So. He had no idea about any of this. He had no idea that I was coming home every day. Laying down on the on the floor beside my bed, burying my head in the carpet with tears just pouring out of me and begging God for help. And it just didn't seem like any help was coming. So I started having suicidal ideation, which seemed perfectly uh, rational and reasonable to me um, because nothing else was getting the pain to stop. So that night I started pacing the house And I walked into a bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, this is it. And I went and I grabbed the phone and I called the emergency room at a hospital about 25 minutes, 30 minutes from our house. And I basically said, my name is Jody Gillen. I'm losing it. You better get ready because I'm coming. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I looked at my husband and I said, you have to take me to the hospital right now. And he didn't know what was happening. Um, and he was scared and sat You know, he was all of those things. And he put me in the car and we went to the hospital.
1: Wow. First of all, the courage that you had to pick up the phone, knowing that this was your last option.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't wait the two weeks for the mental mm-hmm. health appointment. It's so sad
1: because, say, I cut my arm mm-hmm. and I have bleeding everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, um... I see that you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. That's the same thing as mental health. You are essentially
0: bleeding out, right? Like You are bleeding out. I heard Harrison Ford. Um, there's an actor named Joe Pantoliano who has been in just about everything. If you would Google him, you would say, oh, I know who he is. Um, he started a nonprofit about 20 years ago called No Kidding Me Too. And he had... um stars doing PSAs for mental health. And I remember one that Harrison Ford did that I thought was brilliant. And he said, the brain is an organ like any other organ in the body, but it does not have parity or it's not equal to other organs in the body. For example, if you go to the emergency room with an appendicitis attack, your appendix is getting ready to rupture and your appendix does not even do a job. Like it has no job, (laughs) right? Your brain has. It's useless. That's right. Your brain has multiple jobs. Okay. And Harrison Ford was like, it's not, it doesn't even have the parity that the appendix has. Because if you go to the, the emergency room and they say, Oh my gosh, your appendix is getting ready to rupture. What do they do? Take you to surgery immediately. Immediately. You go to an emergency room, basically, with the same problem with your brain, which is an organ of your body, and say, basically, you know, uh, my brain is getting ready to rupture. They might throw some drugs at you, try and get you within, you know, try to get you to a therapist, who knows when, and say, good luck.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I follow a brand who I take their supplements, Alani New, and one of the co-creators, he's in the midst of dealing with mental health battle and Mm -hmm. very open about it on his Instagram, but he ran into the same thing. They were in Hawaii on vacation, family vacation. And, um, they, they quote, have it all right. They Mm -hmm. built a business from the ground up. They have Mm -hmm. two beautiful kids, one on the way, a home in Florida. They're building one in Colorado. I mean, quote the dream life. Right. And he hasn't been sleeping He's Mm -hmm. not eating. He's going through it right now. And he was sharing his story about how he went to the ER in Hawaii and they sent him home with melatonin.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So
1: it's just amazing how there's not immediate treatment Uh -uh. for people who are truly hurting.
0: And what's sad too, this is Julie talking, by the way. Jody and I sound very similar <laughs> on this podcast. People might have a hard time distinguishing. But mm-hmm. Jody, we were talking, um, like you said earlier, that people have reached out to you just this week. Mm, yeah. A- and we were talking about, um, and you mentioned it earlier when you were looking for help. You know, mm-hmm. about having to wait mm-hmm. maybe so long. But currently, Devin like the waiting period has only gotten worse. You were talking Mm -hmm. to, uh, yes, out of respect. I will. There's an individual who's struggling right now and a family member came to me, um, expressing major concern and long story short, they called the family physician to, because I said, start with your family physician to get help. Um, I'm not a doctor, but this person's symptoms sound very much like clinical depression. So they called the family doctor. The family doctor said, we can see you at the end of October. And then the therapy center that I, I did nine years of therapy in total. um, The therapy center that they referred uh, the person to said they can get uh, this person in in May or June. And that the waiting list is what? There's one, another um, counseling center has a waiting list of over 300 people. Wow. That's an issue. It's a problem. We it's have a, a big problem. problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem because finally, maybe people are starting to say, I need help. Sure, right. And it's not available. That scares me terribly.
1: So, Judd, you went to the ER that night. Mm-hmm. And then, can you kind of tell us what
0: happened next? Yeah, I was very, um, I told them, you know, how I hadn't been e- uh, eating or sleeping. They took blood, of course, they tested me for multiple sclerosis. Um, and all these other things. And I'm like, I know what this is. Like, I'm pretty sure I know what this is. I could hear the doctors talking about me in the hallway outside the curtain, because at that time they just had, you were in a curtained off area in the emergency room. And they're like, she's very lucid. She's very intelligent. Let's give her something to help her sleep. Hmm. Uh, They gave me a, a, a benzodiazepine to help me sleep. And, um they were able to bump up my counseling session and then they contacted my family physician who I got into pretty quickly and he prescribed a SSRI, which is a a type of antidepressant. So I went home and slept that night for the first time. I think I got like five or six hours sleep with the help of a, a, a medication and I was at work the next day. So that's, that's what happened. And so that started my journey Um, I started taking an SSRI. Um, I don't like to name medications because different medications work for different people. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to say, well, this medication worked, you know, there are certain medications that worked for me, but it may not work for somebody else. Right. So I am a big believer in medication because I feel like God gave scientists the ability to come up with something to help those who are struggling. Just like he allowed scientists to discover insulin he enabled scientists and lab techs to discover ssris to help people who are struggling with this brain disease i don't want to really call it mental illness like it's a brain disease Mm. i think mental illness saying that someone has a mental illness it sort of implies that a they could have control over it if they really wanted to Mm. right just snap out of it kind of thing. Yeah. And it also implies some kind of spiritual deficit or character deficit. Mm. And I don't like that. Mhm. I have a brain disease, which is totally different. That like other diseases, this uh-huh. is chemically based. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there can be exacerbating factors too, right Jody? Sure. Like stress that's... and oh, and, sure. and and past experience mm-hmm. can can Like add to that or adjust even brain chemistry. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Like you don't say to someone um, who has cancer, oh, he's cancer. mm. Or you don't say to someone, you know, I guess what I'm saying is like you say someone has clinical depression. You don't say they're depressed. Mm. Uh, You don't say he's schizophrenic. You say someone has schizophrenia. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't say, "Oh, he committed suicide." You say, "Oh, she died by suicide." Right. Um, mm. The way we talk also contributes to the stigma. Yeah, the, it's easy to slap a label. Oh, yeah, he's he's bipolar. Sure. She's bipolar. No, mm-hmm. she's not bipolar. She has a brain disease called bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. Mm.
1: That's important to talk about.
0: That's important for erasing stigma.
1: So, Jody, knowing that you grew up in faith. Mm-hmm. And then from the beginning of you knowing that you are needing help to where you are in the middle of telling your story, how does God and your spirituality play into your journey with mental health?
0: Um, That's an interesting question because there are some assumptions out there that can actually hurt Christians who are seeking or wanting to seek help for mental health issues. It's interesting, Jody, by the way, that you say this because the the assumptions mm-hmm. aren't really coming from assumptions that God has said anything specific about mental health. Oh, no, they're coming from, from people. Right. We're talking about the, the I hate to even say sect, mm-hmm. S-E-C-T, but when we look at the Christian group, so to speak, and, and, and this is a broad generalization, and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where education is so important. But the church as a whole has really strong opinions about why you're suffering from Mm -hmm. mental health. Just like Devin last week, the disciples had really strong opinions Mm -hmm. about why the guy was born blind, Mm -hmm. right? Because of sin, right? Mm -hmm. And so it seems like even 2000 years Mm -hmm. later, the church is not afraid to make those assumptions about mental health. Oh, absolutely. I kept thinking, you know, before I actually sought help and I would be laying face down, on my carpet crying and begging out, you know, begging God to help me or to heal me or to send me a lifeline. I kept thinking this is a punishment mm-hmm. for, for how badly you treated your twin sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother issue folks. I'm not trying to, I love to her steal son. her thunder. I Go love ahead. her so much. I she totally no understand idea. though but, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought perhaps this is a punishment for something that I had done and Uh, I will be the first one to tell you as a perfectionist that I've messed up a million times in my life. So it seemed natural to me that this was a punishment coming from God and he wasn't helping me because apparently I hadn't learned my lesson yet. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also this assumption that if you are spiritual enough, you will have no pain or Mm. sinfulness. So, uh perhaps it was an indictment on my spirituality. Perhaps I was not praying enough. I wasn't giving enough money to the church. I wasn't mm. reading my Bible enough. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, all of those things. And not long after this, I found a book by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, who are actual clinical psychologists. And I've met Henry Cloud, actually. Um, they, they're very famous for the book Boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote a book called 12 Christian Beliefs That Can Drive You Crazy, and they compiled this list, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, uh, yes, mm-hmm. um, that the church proper had imposed on people, and it was exacerbating the symptoms of these poor people who were going through depression, anxiety, postpartum, PTSD, mm-hmm. And one of them, that was one of them. I was going to say, can you share a couple of those? Yeah. Um, The first one that really hit me was, if I'm spiritual enough, I will have no pain or sinfulness. Hmm. Um, Yeah. That's just bad theology. It is bad theology because, you know what's really interesting, Jody, is after Jesus was baptized, Mm -hmm. before he went out and did anything amazing, it says in scripture that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness mm-hmm. where he mm. was tested and tried. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. If Je- so are you saying if Jesus would have been holy enough, <laughs> he would have never experienced the wilderness. He would have never been, uh, been let out for 40 days of hunger and testing and mm-hmm. trying uh, or trials, if you will, by Satan. I mean, it's, it is. It's bad theology. Mm-hmm. Before Jesus does anything amazing, he's tested, he's tried mm-hmm. and led by the spirit to do so. Yeah. Bad theology. Bad theology. And I think we are under the assumption that while Jesus was in the wilderness, he was just maybe sitting on a rock and looking at his watch. Maybe drinking a margarita drinking, or something. You know, and yeah. like, oh, I've just got to put my forty forty days in and you know, I'm cool. <laughs> Everything's good. Like, I don't think we we understand that while Jesus was in the wilderness he was suffering. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one assumption that Doctor Cloud and Doctor Townsend addressed in their book this next assumption (laughs) you hear it all the time and it is so useless and here it is i just need to give it to the lord yeah Yeah. you just need to give it to the lord Julie. what's wrong with you yeah what what did they say about that Jody? what did cloud and townsend say about that (laughs) Actually, they have uh, a lot to say about, it. I just need to. Do they it. ever say, I call
1: bullshit? Because we I, say that on our podcast. Yeah. yeah, we're big fans of that.
0: Yeah. yeah. But they probably yeah. use better words. Um, I call bullshit <laughs> on that one, too. If I look at someone, if, if I had, I, I did have a couple of people this week who approached me and really needed comfort and reassurance, um, I'm thinking of the young man who came to me on Monday, Julie. Sure. If I would have just looked at him and said, you just need to give it to the Lord so that that kind of response is not only shows no compassion shows no empathy it also will make them fall into these other assumptions Mm. that is not loving your neighbor well no not at all Mm -mm. for example like I kept thinking, I had given this to the Lord when I was really suffering. I have given this to the Lord a hundred times. And I'm still in the same place I am. So that leads me back to the first one, assumption. Mm-hmm. If I'm spiritual enough, I will have no pain. Right. So I've given it to the Lord. I'm still having pain. So I must not be doing something right There's something wrong with me. Yeah. Right. So it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious, So it turns on itself. Right. It's, a, it's a vicious cycle. Absolutely. I know somebody who um,
1: was a band member in one of the local churches here, singer, honestly, the reason why I went to this local church because he would bring me to tears every Sunday morning with just his voice and, and the worship songs. But mm. he left there because he wanted to be open with his mental health. And the leader at the church basically told him he could not, you know, speak to it because that would show others in the congregation that the Lord wasn't working
0: in him in the right way. Let's call that what it is. That is spiritual abuse. And I don't even want to even use the word spiritual there. It's abuse. Emotional Emotional abuse. abuse. Mm -hmm. Emotional abuse. Under the guise of Christianity. That's right. That's right. I follow uh, a lot of contemporary pastors on social media mm-hmm. who really have their act together in terms of addressing mental health issues within their congregations. And I wanted to share a couple of things that I'd found on social media. Kind of the opposite of the story that Debbie oh, just told. total opposite of the story. I was going to say what's interesting is we have a large contingency of pastors in america who are really on board with mental health mm-hmm. but unfortunately we have an equal group that are just like you know speaking on behalf of your friend who had to leave there are people out there that are still being traumatized by the church for being open and honest about their mental health issues a pastor that i follow out of new york city out of i think rich Viodos is in the bronx or brook i think he's in brooklyn and one of it I want to share one of his quotes. Yeah, you I guys. saw this the other day on Twitter. It's, it's so amazing. good. And like I said, or like you said earlier, Julie, it's like we were, we knew we were going to talk about this. And then all of a sudden my Twitter feed is flooded by these pastors about mental health issues. But Pastor Rich said, one of the great tragedies of depression is the isolation and shame people carry as a result, which is true. Um, depression is a very isolating disease and we're going to talk about that in just a moment about how you need people and uh, pastor rich goes on to say we need communities of faith that normalize depression life is hard at some point we break depression is not a sign of weak faith it is a sign that we are human and in need of support Mm. which i thought was really good um And I I, I like this one from uh, Reverend Benjamin Kramer. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you follow Ben Kramer or not. Yeah. He's amazing. And this was this week that showed up on my feed. A reminder, your anxiety is not a sin. Your depression is not a sin. Your PTSD is not a sin. And then I love this part. What is sinful is when someone adds to your trauma by telling you that your anxiety, depression, and or ptsd reveals a lack of faith in god that's good news we that is that, that, that is, is great news. news and what's sad though Devin, is i think it's a painful truth jody what you said it's almost like warring factions oh yes absolutely the one side of the church saying we need to normalize this and and having the grace and the compassion mm-hmm. right to address those issues and then you have this ridiculous other side that you that the gentleman you mentioned earlier, Devin, I cannot even begin to wrap my mind around that situation or even think about the mental gymnastics that poor fellow oh, has had to go through. Cruel. To try to figure this thing out. Absolutely cruel. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely cruel. I mean, it makes me want to Like when we get done, like, can you please give me his, his email and I'll shoot him an email and he can talk to me about, I, I, I'm just heartbroken. I am literally heartbroken for people who are going through that. Right. Yeah. Um, the next assumption that I wanted to talk about was if I have God, I don't need people. Hmm. That's isolating. Because, you know, when Jesus started his ministry, he said, I got this. I'm all by myself. I don't need anyone else. What's a disciple? I don't need them. It's so counterintuitive to what Christianity is. It's like we, I mean, you said it on the podcast. I've heard our good friend and former pastor Steve Good say it a million times. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We all need our people. Mm -hmm, We all need our people. And I think about, I, I know Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend referred to this scripture, and I will talk about it now too, you know, um, when Jesus, that you know. Mm, this is powerful. Yeah. I know where you're going with <laughs> yeah, this. that's it's a powerful. twin thing right there. It is. <laughs> we have a little bit of ESP going yeah. right now, yeah. After the Last Supper, you know, and Jesus is heading to Gethsemane because he knows what's coming, and it's going to be bad. And he, he wants to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he do, Julie? He asks three of his besties to go with him. It is the darkest night of his soul. Yeah. And he says to them, basically, I need you to stand watch with me because my soul is so burdened. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to make it. To the point of death. To the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Keep watch with me. Yeah. So he invites these three men. Peter, James, and John, I believe. Yes. To come with him on what he knows is the darkest night of his soul. And he invites them into that. I mean, it's a—it's horrible what Jesus is facing. But for him to model, I'm in deep sorrow. I have to have you with me. Mm-hmm. He is God. I mean, like, Jesus is the son of God. Right. And he is saying, I need my people. And you know what's interesting is Jesus knows that those three men can't change what's, what, what's about to happen. mm they have no quick answers they have no ability to fix anything but he needs their presence Mm -hmm. oh wow is presence a gift oh my goodness presence and listening hey guys devin here
1: i just want to jump in to say that julie and i made the decision to break this podcast up into two different episodes Jody is doing such an amazing job speaking her truth, and we want her full story to be shared with you all. So we're going to pick back up with Jody next Wednesday. Thanks for listening in, and never hesitate to reach out. Be well, friends.
0: In the new podcast, Reformation Abroad, you get immersed in the story of a prison crew in outer space on a work release program. But once the crew discovers a dark secret, they find that their lives may be in danger. Here's a quick taste of Reformation Abroad.
1: This is Chief Engineer Kowalski. The Abari requests immediate assistance at X-Ray Tango Echo-499.
0: Come on! We have to go now!
1: Hello, Team Lead. Please call me King. King ran the biggest crew in Cook County Jail.
0: Going after that ship was a total mistake. This is the official statement,
1: and you will do well to stick to it.
0: I'm gonna leave you all in five if we don't get back to the pod. gonna kill us all! Cam, I think we've got bigger problems right now.
1: We are a voice in the darkness the only hope out here on the Tideline. How did this get so out of hand? Let this horse run.
0: Guys, I really don't think this is a good idea!
1: Check out Reformation Abroad, a fun, immersive science fiction audio drama wherever you listen to podcasts.